Hi, it's Richard Gillis, and this is Unofficial Partner. This week's guest is Alex K. Jelski, the editor-in-chief of The Athletic. Alex K. Jelski, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. You haven't got much on at the moment, have you? No, it's really quiet. Yeah, it's really quiet. But always time to fit interesting people in. Very good. Good answer. Right, let's talk about The Athletic and the launch. We're about a week out from the sort of initial... Monday, where it, it hit the hit the streets or not hit the streets. What what was that like? Tell us about. Just give us a bit of insight into that day. That day was it was a massive release and relief. We've been keeping it a, ma- a big secret, understandably. So we've been weeks and weeks and weeks of like internalizing all this pressure and trying to get content ready that would get people's attention and be interesting, without telling anyone about it. And I think you you just kind of run on adrenaline and then all of a sudden 7am um, the button goes and you go live to the world and I think I just started crying at my desk out of pure relief because you just kind of let it all out um, it'd been, you know, you've been up since 5 o'clock checking everything does this work, does this look alright um, and then yeah then it just spread and the reception was really really good on the first day and you kind of learn to relax a bit and think okay what we've been planning what we've been doing this is actually interesting and people might want to read it uh, so yeah that was one crazy day that I almost can't remember <laughs> it was just so intense and emotional and what what what, what does a day look like now because obviously if you were you know you were people know you were sports editor of the the Times and that's got a particular structure presumably I'm assuming compared to this job or is, yeah, it's, it's, very it, it's very different in that sense in that there is not a deadline um, and if there's a big match, I mean, let's take last week as an example, first game of the Premier League season, if I'd have been at, in my old job, I'd have probably been there till midnight, getting this first edition out, getting the second edition out. Um, I watch Liverpool Norwich on my sofa with a glass of wine in my hand, <laughs> and I was still in touch with the writers, but you're trying to plan how you do things a little bit differently to, for a piece that might be 24 hours later or 48 hours later, and there's going to be a different style than doing a match report or doing ratings and so yeah the, the, you lose that sort of adrenaline intensity oh my god the game's just finished change that picture change that headline mm. but you try and go into games with a bit more of a uh, a plan or yeah just just to slow everything down and what so in terms of the just the the live game the, you know the 90 minutes while the match is going on um, what is the approach are you doing sort of everything around the game well, I, I'm really interested in the sort of future of the match report no, so as a genre. Match reports you're not going to get from us. Um, there are lots of very good journalists producing match reports out there outside of paywalls. You can read them on the BBC, you can read them on the Mail, on the Guardian. There's no point us asking people to pay money to give them something that's already out there. I think that's the basis of anything. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to do either analysis or a feature related to a match or colour or anything that's a bit different um, afterwards uh, so for example last week on the day of the Liverpool game poor old Simon Hughes I made him walk from Jurgen Klopp's house to Hampfield um, and try and tell us the story of what as you go through the city what the city is like and what it means to this club and this city you know in the first game back since becoming European champions and that was a very popular piece it's very different from anything else out there and that's the sort of thing we're trying to do it doesn't always have to be that grand because that's not realistic, um, but it won't be a match report, as say, 
uh, as such. At the end of the game, all Premier League games in particular, all the subscribers can go on and chat for a quarter of an hour to the writer. So, at the end of your Tottenham game, the other day, after they beat Villa, um, pops up on your phone, come and chat to Jack Pibbrook, who was at the game, and 15 minutes, so what do you think of that? Who had a good game? Who had a bad game? What about so-and-so's injury? And that's a kind of a different way that we're approaching the immediate reaction. Rather than producing a report, because, like I say, the stuff's already out there, or you might have seen the game, you want to know the opinion or the inside story from the experts that we have there. Yeah. That's how we're dealing with matches in a different way, and we'll see whether it's popular or not. And what was what was you what were you looking for from the journalists? You know, when you, you I mean, famously, you've gone through this and, and this sort of shopping list of of, um, of journalists, both local and, and national. Mm-hmm. What particularly were you sort of seeking from them? People who wanted to try something a little bit different. I mean, it's it's such different categories. I mean, you, you've got local journalists who some well, generally the best connected people with their clubs um, but have been under a lot of pressure to file a lot of pieces in a week or a day I mean sometimes they're yeah. producing close to 10 pieces a day and that's really hard and that means do they have as much time to meet contacts and develop a story and you know those people and those roles are still really important for local papers and things like that it's, it's not saying they're not it's just that maybe they fancy the change and it's trying to find people who want to just dig that little bit deeper and tell a story that no one else is telling. That's the key thing. Um, if you're asking people to pay money, you have to provide them with quality, otherwise it's not fair. Um, and people won't do it. <laughs> so all these journalists have one thing in common, which is they want to spend a little bit more time trying to dig deeper. And that's not to say that we're going to be better than everybody else all the time or anything like that. That's not realistic. There's lots of fantastic journalists out there across the board all trying to do lots of things. It's just that if we don't do as much of the press conferences and match reports and ratings, we can give them a bit more time back to try and tell some stories. That's interesting. So the the access, so that you know, as you say, local journalists embed, almost sort of embedded. It's probably the wrong term, but in in the club, mm-hmm. there is a there is a danger. One of the things that that um, has happened over the last sort of well, probably twenty years or more, is that access has become a sort of um, a currency almost that is used quite sort of um, uh, cynically by clubs. Sponsors are you know coming along and saying you can have a, you can have an interview with this star player if you give us a plug. Or that uh, are you playing that game? Are you are those journalists trying to sort of do it outside of that? That you know it's, a, not it's, a, it's a mixture, isn't it? I mean, if a, if a club say right, we can give you this access. Um, and it's really interesting piece come stay in two days with our academy or come talk to this player about something that we've asked very specifically to talk about then great but we don't have to rely on it either um, some of the best most interesting pieces we've done so far have not been through access at all they've been through good journalism and storytelling so there's a mixture I don't think you need to have a we're definitely going to do this and we're defi- or we're definitely not going to do this you just take it on a case by case basis and as always there's clubs you have really good working relationships with and clubs you have less good working relationships with but that's not a problem what about the sponsor question in terms of okay, here's a big name interview do you want it depends on a million things what does this sponsor want who are the sponsor uh, what time are they giving you who are they giving you access to if it's something we feel comfortable with okay especially if you're plugging charities and community work and things like that that's really good to highlight um, if it's something that we think well, hang on, I'm not sure that makes us look great. Should we be getting into bed with these people? We'll say no. 
It just you just take it on a case by case basis. There's a there's something we we did a podcast with James Brown, who's obviously now at four four two, and his he made a point about he was a big fan of Mundial and some of the writers that have come through that because they didn't have access. It was almost like a sort of they were forced to be more creative. And more I think creative. there's a, I think there's a balance. I think if manager gets sacked at club X and you want our writer to provide the definitive read on it, they have to have a relationship with the club and a way into people to find out what's really happening. If you divorce yourself from that access so much that you become an outsider, you don't really know what's going on. So I think you don't want to be reliant on access, but you don't want to be the man from the sofa typing. That's that's, that's very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So if if we... Players' Tribune then is, you know, has been around for a couple, a few years, and it's obviously very US based. But it's quite an interesting um, model in that it's coming, you know, purports to be the, the voice of the player direct to the fan. It's that sort of control of the message yeah. on behalf of the player. Um, is that part of the picture for the Athletic? Are you going to try and and sort of do a bit of that? You know, so you've mentioned that you've got a couple of of managers, Rafa Benitez come on as a as a columnist, so it sort of feels like there's a there's a direct, not just journalist writing, that there's going to be. No, we're not going to add people. lots of people like that. I think maybe when we're telling people stories, it'll be the journalist writing. I don't think you're going to see a lot of first person pieces because we want to tell stories, but we also want to tell parts of the stories that they don't either want to discuss themselves directly or we feel we can put it better ourselves um, there's a, you know there's things that are often quite complicated and you can add extra information and texture and depth by using our journalists if we're going to hire all these excellent journalists we might as well make them do some work <laughs> <laughs> well um let's go back before the launch then mm-hmm. what was that like because you know you know very few people get a blank piece of paper and say right okay you're going to start a sports media company and you were very sort of prominent in that process what was that like? Exciting and that's the reason you know I had a wonderful job with wonderful people at the time it's not it's, it's not the sort of thing that you expect to leave um, but when else are you ever going to get given an opportunity like this in your life answer never again it's like how could you possibly say no um, and yeah, it was exciting. I mean, it's stressful as well when you're trying to get something ready for launch and you oh God, have we got someone to do Bournemouth? Have we got someone to do Burnley? <laughs> we did say we were going to have 20 Premier League clubs, didn't we? Um, but mainly it was exciting because people wanted to come and you'd, you'd sit down with people and think, oh, I wonder whether they're going to think this is just complete madness. And they weren't because they were, they were sold on the ideas. I mean, the, the bits you find stressful are being written about when all of a sudden you're the subject of a story when you start cropping up and BuzzFeed and Private Eye and yeah. you look at it and you go none of that's true but I'm just not going to you, know, you just sort of shrug your shoulders and get on with it because you're busy um, so that bit you know it's a bit odd um, and, a, and an adjustment but generally it was re- it was genuinely exciting and you know everyone talks about oh we've hired David Ornstein we've hired Danny Taylor well we've hired a dozen really young journalists as well who are basically in their first jobs and couldn't get um, couldn't get in the door anywhere and that's the bit I've enjoyed most so far by, by an absolute mile in fact like watching um, young person like Ryan Conway who's his first job in journalism really he's moving house so he can cover Derby County 
He's been told no by everyone his whole life. He didn't have a single contact to Derby County in his book. And here we are eight days in and he's driving subscribers, you know, on the phone to Paolo Wanchop and having an absolutely <laughs> brilliant time and building up this profile. And there's a dozen people like that and they come from all different types of backgrounds and they've been knocked back and knocked back and knocked back. And they're so talented and that's exciting. That That is easily the most fulfilling part. Is there, in terms of the, I mean, it's an obvious question, but this is a commercial operation. You've got a venture capital company or, a, you know, a, a, a VC um, behind you. What's the, what's the conversations with them and, and what's the timeline that they're... I, I, they're I, don't speak directed, I don't speak directly to them. Alex and Adam, who are the founders of the company, I obviously have some dialogue with them and other people in America, but it's all very calm and patient and... They let me get on with the editorial decisions, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's it's not, despite what people say, targets and you must do this in week one and month one. It's just nothing like that at all. It's you know they've been hugely successful in America, so they're very relaxed about if you hire the right people and you work hard and you do the right things that it should work over here. And I hope they write for you know, and I'm confident they'll write. How much did you know about the American? sort of model because obviously American sport is is quite a bit more regionally based than than it is here um, did you did you study that before oh yeah I mean before on? you when you have a you know two young kids and a, and a mortgage and a good job you don't just sort of uh, take the plunge <laughs> without having a bit of a look um, so I did of course I did a lot of um, in-depth looking into them and it's one of the advantages of being a journalist right um, before deciding to take a job I'd have been mad not to I mean, what they're doing is so simple when you break it down, um, especially with regards to the local teams. You, you know, you have teams like Leeds United who are absolutely massive mm. and don't really get covered in the national media, not because anyone has a, an agenda or a bias or a problem. It's just because there are a certain amount of journalists or pages or whatever, and there's a hungry, hungry readership out there who want to read about them. So it's fairly straightforward. And obviously they're across sport, your football. Yep. And is part what's the plan? Is the plan to broaden as you go or plans to get the football right and then see. Yeah, we'd love to do other sports eventually, but we've got to get this bit right first. And then we have to see if we think there's a market for whatever other sports there might be and what that means. But right now it's you know, making sure that people read the football part. So the non-writing bit is, is, is a feature, as in podcasts, you've got Tifo Football is one that I'm a, I'm a big fan of in terms of the sort of whiteboard approach. You've got a lot of um, visual stuff going on. What was your approach to that whole process? We're still working out exactly how it's going to work. In America, the podcasts and the video are doing really well. We'll obviously be adding that. You don't hire people like David Ormstein and not put their faces in front of people. Um, but again, that's gradual. Um, right now, we're just putting the writing out and building it up, and we'll add podcasts in, we'll add video in. That's the, of course that's the the idea, but it'll, it'll happen when it's right. There's no point rushing things and doing them wrong. What's the what, uh, uh, the in terms of uh, everything's based on the assumption of of the behaviour. So p- football fans' behaviour is is you know their their consumption is different now than it was. Yep. And this is you know your central part of that. What do you know about how fans consume football? What do I know? It's, well, I'm learning a lot. In the, in the, 
you I can already see that if you put quality stuff out there that they that some people want it. You're not this is not gonna be a mass market. You're not gonna get millions and millions of people, are you? Because it's just not it's just not realistic. It's about getting thousands of people as a starting as a starting position. Um, the the feedback, the comments on these pieces is what's kind of confused me most because it's all so nice. Mm. Everyone goes, Oh thanks, I really enjoyed reading that, wasn't it lovely? And you think, hang on, is that real? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so I'm learning that if you give people something that they can't get, that I do think it works, um, and they're enjoying the fact that they haven't got pop-up adverts in their face, um, which, again, seems simple, but seems to be a positive thing. I think, I mean, I know, you know, I know a fair bit from my time at the Times and already from here in terms of when people read things. Um, you know, Saturdays are, you know, seem like a, probably a bit of a, dead day despite the fact people go to football people don't have as much time because um, they're busy with their families or their friends um, but in terms of a general trend of behaviour it's it's that there's a lot of passion out there and a lot of as I kept saying before about Leeds there's a lot of if you're a Nottingham Forest fan you can read about Forest but can you read in depth about Forest well no until now probably so I think there is definitely a hunger there and is it your, what about by device or by, you know, is that something that, that drives the, the, the form of the content as well? So if people are, you know, for example, how much of it is consumed on mobile? I think I think a lot of it is consumed on the phone. Um, and, 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 I mean, most things everyone does now is on their phone, so there's no, this is no different to that. But it's a very, I'm sure you've seen the app, it's very sort of simple and clean in that sense. It doesn't really matter where you read it. It's not like it has to have... You don't have to turn it left or turn it right to use. It's very much based on the words, not on a load of videos that play in the middle of it or something like that. It's mm. very, very easy in that sense. Um, so I mean, most people are using it on their phones. And what's your? How do you consume football? Hmm. <laughs> well, do you mean journalism or just football generally? Just generally. Football. I, I go. I go to Tottenham with my dad still quite a lot. Obviously watch whatever I can on the TV but then when you do it as your job it's so different anyway because you're sitting there watching going hang on that's interesting what can we turn this into in two days time three days time so it's quite a only when I go to Spurs am I really enjoying it as a fan the rest of the time you kind of got your work half hat on thinking oh Norwich is left back um, <laughs> I might be the only person in the country thinking that <laughs> um, so I mean in fact I went to Spurs Villa last week and I think it was almost the first time in launch week where I could think straight because you could let out that wonderful thing of being at football and letting out your frustrations and just the release mm. of when the goal scored and it almost it's just so cathartic mm. and I don't think you could do a job where you're thinking about football 24-7 without loving it and I very much still love it and what do you think of Spurs this summer transfer action it's exciting I mean we've bought players and everything um, <laughs> it's just so it's so impressive what they've done at that club to punch above their weight year after year after year such an incredible manager there even now when you think oh is the team going to break up a little bit is Alderweireld going is Ericsson going they've got enough coming through and there's a plan there that as long as the manager's there they'll probably be in really good hands who knows what happens after that and the 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 story that Poch and Levy sort of uh, fell out over Dybala is that something that worries you for the first time as a Spurs fan it, I was so the first time I thought, oh, a bit worried about that. 
I don't know because I don't know the truth and the ins and outs of what's really happened I imagine they've had disagreements plenty of times about you know from what I understand Poch wasn't overly enamoured with the fact they didn't sign people last summer but you know he recovered enough to get to the Champions League final and get them back in the top four and they've bought some really good players and yeah, a manager's always going to push, aren't they? Yeah, you, you'd always push for the best team you get. I would do that with building a journalism team. You want, oh, I really want that person, really want that person. And at some point, I'm sure someone will say, well, hang on, you can't just keep buying everybody. It's football, isn't it? it is we, like, we, we, like, we like to make a drama out of it because it's excitement and it you know, gives us stuff to talk about. What's it just to, to, what's your next sort of year? What was it, What's the plan? Is it just, as you say, just to keep going? Or? On, like, it's, it's, it's got to be, isn't it? It's got to be work out which type of which type of content people are most enjoying, hoping that that's what we're doing already, obviously. Um, we've got still got more people to join, um, who we've announced, but haven't started yet. Um, and just try and get as many people on this app and enjoying it as possible. That's all we could do. This is, you know, it's eight days in or nine days in. And it feels like a lifetime, but it's not. And you know, we're, only, we're only really, really just starting. We've just got to build and build and build and build and watch the audience grow. I know that sounds boring, but, but it's just true. Right. Well, good luck with it. Fingers crossed. I think there's a lot, but it's interesting. We were saying beforehand the the, the sort of response. There, there was you got to be careful about listening to journalists' response to something like this. But it felt like there was a lot of hope in there as well, and that people in the industry were saying, oh, "Well, look, actually, this is something people are paying for journalism. This is the first time that you know it feels like a moment." So there's a lot of goodwill also towards the athletic. Like, like anything, you're, you're never going to get 100% positive or 100% negative, especially a lot of young journalists who I've spoken to and just bumped into various things, saying they are just desperate for this to work because it's their future. Mm. Not, I'm not saying the athletic is their future. I mean, if people are going to stay in jobs and get paid to write about football or sport, then you know the public need to pay. How else are we going to fund this? Mm. You know, not everything can be funded through advertising because of two things. One is it means do you have to go after clickbait, which isn't the greatest thing in, in the world, or two, how much online advertising is there in a world where Facebook and Google are kind of hoovering up most of it anyway? Mm. Now that's, that's really difficult. Mm. Um, so a lot of younger journalists have said to me they just hope it works for that reason. Other people were just happy that there's an extra 50-odd jobs in the market. You know, We've had years of journalists sitting there going, oh, God, am I going to get fired? Am I going to get fired? The market's shrinking, and all of a sudden the market's grown a little bit again. That can't be a bad thing. Yeah, you know there are people who have got jobs out of this, young journalists and older journalists, people who've had pay rises at other at other papers because of our interest in like nothing terrible is happening. It's disruptive, and I really do get that for the journal for the media organisations who have had people taken from them to come here, and that's really unfortunate and probably incredibly annoying, but. No one's been no one's held a gun to anyone's head. It's would you you know would you like to come and try something different? Yes. And at the end of the day, those people are then replaced by generally other people being given a chance in the industry. That's got to be a good thing because their paths aren't blocked as much anymore. Mm. And like I said, we managed to hire a bunch of young journalists. Some you know, one of them was about to give up and go and work for the police force. Like I kind of feel like that is great that this came just in time because he's incredibly talented. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks for your time, Alex. On a busy, no, a busy week. Absolute pleasure. I hope it wasn't too boring. <laughs> <laughs>